from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Women at Work on Business Radio. Here is your host, Laura Zarrow. Welcome to Women at Work and our ongoing conversation of how we can help more women join, stay, succeed, and lead in the workplace. I'm Laura Zarrow, Senior Director of Wharton People Analytics, and your host for today's show with Sally Krawcheck on Owning It, how we can build our personal power and financial independence to advance our careers, improve our organizations, and really establish true gender equality. Sally Krawcheck has spent her career enabling others to advance their personal goals and continues to do so in increasingly powerful powerful ways. She started her story career in banking, where as a result of her brave and dedicated advocacy for her company's clients, Fortune Magazine called her the last honest analyst. She served as the CEO of Merrill Lynch Wealth Management, CEO of City Wealth Management, CFO of City, CEO of Smith Barney, um, among other appointments that she's had of note. The list really goes on. But this is all part of why Sally's also been referred to as one of, if not the most powerful women in business today. Following her work on Wall Street, Sally's done something that many of us dream of. She's become an advocate and an entrepreneur as the CEO and co-founder of Elevest, the chairman of Elevate Network, chairman of PAX Elevate Management, and the newly minted author of Own It, The Power of Women at Work. We're going to talk with her today about her new book and how you, too, can take ownership of your money, your career, and maximize your impact on the world around you. So with that, Sally, welcome back to Women at Work. Thank you. It's been a while. Good to be here. It has indeed. I was thinking, since we first met, it feels like the third wave of feminism roared forth. (laughs) And perhaps, I'm hoping not culminating, but it's had a particularly poignant moment with Mm. Hillary Clinton's candidacy Mm. and defeat. Mm -hmm. Um, Wondering, what's next in making real change happen from your perspective? Well, it roared forth, uh, or it felt like it was roaring forth, and then we've had this stop. Um, And part of what the book addresses is that this is actually the case in business that for all these wonderful conversations we've had about the advancement of women in business, all of the amazing research out there about the power of diversity and in particular gender diversity in driving company performance, for all it felt like we are on our way. Yes. Gender pay parity is, depending on your study, 100, 150, 180 years away, more if you are a woman of color or with disabilities. Um, Board parity is decades away. And there are industries such as the one that I worked in, Wall Street, where gender um, diversity has gone backwards. So So, mm, I know mm, it's demoralizing, mm. but I also see a tremendous amount of passion about it. People are as committed to making it happen as we are frustrated that it's stalled. Well, and I think there's a recognition, and I think the book makes this point as well, that, okay, what are we going to do? What we were doing before got us really far. I mean, if you take a sweep of history, I, you know, I only really thought about it the other week. Uh, my mother didn't go to college. My mother didn't graduate from college. So Mine I was didn't either. First generation female college graduate. Um, so that's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. That being said, we've stalled out over the past few years. So, you know, okay, what are we, everybody, what are we going to do now? And And the points the book tries to make... Um, are we, there are action steps we can take, but very importantly, it's worth noting that the world is coming our way and that the changes in business brought on by technology are giving us the tools that we didn't have in order to 
not be empowered because we don't be, you know, the definition of that is to be given power. We don't be, need to be given power. It's giving us the tools to use that power. So are you alerting to what a lot of people refer to as the future is female? And why? Sure. Well, it's the future is female for a handful of reasons, uh, one of which is that we bring great qualities to work. Now, before I wrote the book, I'm like, hey, you know, you can't say everything about females or males. Everybody's different. We're all different people. But if diversity leads to higher returns on equity, which it does, not by a little but by a lot, lower risk, greater innovation, greater customer focus, greater employee engagement, if it leads to all of that, we're bringing something different mm-hmm. to the party. And I did quite a bit of research here and gathered quite a bit of research. And qualities that we bring are things like risk awareness. Oh, that's a good idea. Holist- <laughs> the ability to make decisions holistically, to see around corners. Uh, relationship focus. Long-term focus. Um, a drive for meaning and purpose. So there are a number of skills that we bring um, that help make businesses better. And it's only becoming the case more so going forward. So I tell anecdotes in the book, but only just a few years ago when I was running Merrill Lynch, information was so scarce and so expensive that I was the only one that had the client survey data of the whole industry because it was so expensive to do it. And so I had it, and therefore I could lead through command and control. Today, we can do a Qualtrics survey for several thousand dollars and get 95% of the way there. We can do a survey monkey for a few hundred and get 84% of the way there. You and I can go out and ask a question on Twitter and hit the side of a barn. So it's not, oh, I've got the information. Now it's, we've got the information. So how are we going to make decisions about it? How are we going to analyze it? How are we going to think about risk? How are we going to communicate with people about it. The skill sets are changing and fast. It's interesting how you note the power of technology in terms of the information it can bring to Mm -hmm. us as decision makers. It also is creating a whole new arena for entrepreneurship. Oh, well, now for sure. Okay, so think about it. Back when you and I were younger, if a company wasn't treating us well, we could stay. Or we could go to another company with very little information. Maybe, you know, you take a friend out who works there, have a drink. What's it like? And he or she would say, oh, it's great. you say, that's fantastic. <laughs> One person out of 20,000 or 200,000 says it's great. Or we could go home. We could opt out. Those were three broad choices. Today, if the company is not treating us well, we have much more information. We can go in. We can go to... Um, getraise.com or we can go to payscale.com or hired.com or comparably.com. We can go in and say, this is my gender pay gap, right? I, I've triangulated it. I know it might not be perfect. And we can use data to self-advocate. Absolutely. In a way we couldn't before. We can go to another company and we can tap into information in which cultures are crowdsourced, in which, you know, a company like a, you know, fairy god boss will compare parental leave policies for us. So all of a sudden, we're looking at the Muse, we're looking at Glassdoor, we've got these sources. So stay and advocate with information, go to another company with more information, or start our own businesses. And the cost of starting businesses is plummeting. No, the venture capitalists don't get it, but most businesses aren't venture capital funded. Mm -hmm. Um, But what we're seeing is the number one reason women are starting businesses is to work at the company they want to work at. To By build creating the culture it themselves. they want to build. And you can see it, right? There are no more, you know, you don't have to buy the big servers. 
you know, in the proprietary technology, you're renting space in the cloud. You don't have to do a year-long lease. You can go to WeWorks. You don't have to travel for business. You can do video conference. You don't have to hire the HR person. You can do Zenefits. I mean, you know, the, the infrastructure around this is is soaring. And then the final, um, the final path is you can build a non-traditional career path, that there are infrastructure and support systems b- built up around freelancing and consulting and part-time. And so we just have more options that are brought to us through technology. Absolutely. And one of the things that you were, as you were listing before the resources for mm-hmm. um, where you can find out what is the norm in your field and mm-hmm. what are the benefits offer, you're also reflecting that there are additional dimensions to how we make decisions about where we work and why. Mm-hmm. And it's not just the paycheck. And it's not just the atmosphere. Our right. benefits are critically important. Mm-hmm. And flexibility is mm-hmm. another one of those hugely important things. And you did a beautiful job in the book of talking about it. Could you share a little bit with us of why it's so important and how to approach it for the benefit of both the individual and the uh, company? Well, first of all, you know, this culture that we've had, this work culture in this country, that if you request flexibility, you are somehow raising your hand and saying, I don't want, you know, I don't want to be on the track to CEO anymore. I'm not ambitious anymore. And I tell some anecdotes in the book. Both of my children have had health issues, health crises, as a matter of fact. And the fact that I needed to spend time with them didn't mean I was less ambitious. I promise you I would (laughs) rather have been at work than in the hospital. Just like no doubt about it. No question there for any of us. No question, right? And, you know, and the occasions can be less acute. It could be you have a family member who has some needs that that you want to help them take care of. So the fact that we may need flexibility doesn't mean, hey, I'm opting out. It means I am a person. And I have other people in my life. And so for so many women, they end up leaving. They end up mm-hmm. saying, I know if I raise my hand for flexibility, I've taken myself off. I have some, it's a sort of badge of shame. And so I'll just quit. And what I talk about in the book is what we really need is flexibility without shame. The yes. idea that we can access this and do it with our heads held high, women and men, and only really, I think, when the men are doing it as well, yes. will we reach that level, level well, of Well, that's parity. what changes the culture mm-hmm. and establishes the norm, since they still are in most of the senior leadership roles. Mm-hmm. But it also goes back to, I think, another core principle of the book, which is that our femaleness mm-hmm. and the things that we do as women, the things that make us women, are not things to be ashamed of or change oh. or hide. They are actually to be okay. honored and celebrated. I am now getting up on the soapbox because, and I worked on Wall Street, and I'm on the East Coast, and... You know, so I speak from my set of experiences, but boy, are the women telling me I'm on to something when I say that so much of the feedback and the advice and the counsel and the guidance that we as women get, you know, both outside and in the culture of here's the advice, but also from our bosses and our bosses' Mm -hmm. bosses are in essence to act like men. Yes. That, you know, they'll do the whole diversity hiring and then they bring us in and they tell us to act like middle-aged guys. Be confident, (laughs) right? Raise your hand more. Raise your hand for the job you're not ready for yet. You know, all which is fine. But what they've done is a cop-out because it is so much easier. I've managed a lot of people. Boy, it's easy to manage people the same way. Everybody (laughs) needs to act like this and I will then judge you. As opposed to, hey, everybody's different. And the power of diversity is 
dramatic pause. Diversity. Yes. And so I, as a manager, need to manage everybody differently. And that I need to put the responsibility to me to draw out the introvert, not on the introvert to contort themselves to be an extrovert. Here's the thing. Acting like somebody you're not all the time is exhausting. And there's you can't convince me that this isn't a reason women fall out of the workforce. I have to go. I have to wear this itchy suit of a personality. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm tired. Secondly, we've had a backlash. You've seen the research. You're Mm -hmm. as knowledgeable about this as anybody on the planet. We as women get hit if we're too girly, but we get backlash if we're too masculine. We get punished, yeah. Absolutely. And so we, you know, are on this narrow little trail. And again, you know, it doesn't help the companies. No. And it doesn't help the communities that we're trying to impact with the work that we're no. doing either. No. Um, I'm talking with the extraordinary Sally Krawcheck. She's the CEO and co-founder of Elevest, chairman of Elevate Network, um, and author of Own It, The Power of Women at Work. I want to go back to something we were talking about earlier, which is as we're on this this moment in time where we've got to really figure out how do we keep moving forward? How do we keep um, increasing our ability to be an equal and fully engaged voice in the world we live in? Mm-hmm. Um, you've been a huge advocate for the importance of doing that through our investing and our money. Mm. Would you yeah. – this is important. It's important. And you are, are a really – you're – putting out the battle cry for right. this. Why is this so important? And talk to me about yeah. some of its components. So here I would say that there's almost a, a seeming paradox, which is that we women have so much in terms of financial and economic resources. We control $5 trillion of investable assets. We direct 80% of consumer spending. We're more than half the workforce. So we are a force. That being said, on an individual basis, we do not have as much money as the men do. We, we make 78 cents on the man's dollar, less if we're a person of color or with disability, as mentioned before. Um, we retire with two-thirds the money of men, despite the fact we live five, six, eight years longer. Right. So we have less that has to go further. Oh, my gosh. 80% of nursing home residents are women. The retirement crisis is a woman's crisis. Okay? So I think this is super important for one reason, which is, hey, guess what? If we close the gender wage gap, we go a third of the way to closing the retirement savings gap. No tax increases needed, no entitlement cuts right. needed. So there's actually a positive solution. So that's number one. Number two, I've got daughters, I've got nieces, etc. If these gals, if these young women are not financially equal with men, they will not be equal with men. And where maybe in our generation we'll say, ah, you know what, I got a great husband or I got a great partner and I'm okay. You know, look, he's probably going to die before you. You're going to be 90% of us have to manage our money on our own at some point in our lives. But the message we're sending to these young women, that they will not have the degrees of freedom that the men have. Mm -hmm. They will not be able to leave the bad personal relationship where he was so cute four years ago and now (laughs) he's dismissive of me. She will not perhaps be able to leave the boss whose gaze lingers a little bit too long, right? And then, on the, you know, she won't be able to start her business. Mm-hmm. So until we are financially equal, we are not equal. My old industry, Wall Street, I spent decades there, was built by men for men. Financial advisors, love them all, 86% male, 60 years old. 
Men stay with their financial advisor till the end, leave at a rate of about 2%. Women leave in the husband the year after their husband's death at a rate of 80%. Oh, my goodness. Not 18, 8E, 8-0. Okay, so also this means that men's relationships with their financial advisors are actually more stable than they are with their spouses. Absolutely. They actually trust them more than they trust their doctors. They've got great you – know, nobody tells this story. <laughs> they do a great job for the guys. They do a terrible job for women. And think about it. Beat the market, outperform, pick a winner, war and sports analogies. Which we all relate to so quickly. Not at all. <laughs> CNBC is NFL Sunday. Clearly. And the industry symbol is a bull. It's a bull. It's a phallic symbol. It's a bull. <laughs> it's a bull. Not a single woman I've spoken to be like, that industry brand just speaks to me. And here's the Please problem. Please give it to me on a t-shirt. Here's the problem. We blame ourselves. This is the last place, I think, that is 1958. Math is for boys. Actually, girls get as good or better grades in math as boys. Invest Men are better investors. Women are as good or better hedge fund managers, mm -hmm. mutual fund managers, individual investors. Women, too risk-averse to invest. Something about having a uterus clearly keeps us from investing. I'm being sarcastic. <laughs> right, that is like not we true. we can't be responsible with money. Not true. Right. It's, we're risk-aware. We're risk-aware. Another thing, well, you know, I, I just I, I need more financial education. That's a hard one to argue. But what we found is men need more financial education too, but they will invest through the jargon that the industry throws up. Women will not. So right there, you're laying out um, a really stark profile of mm -hmm. these um, dangerous differences of and where it's not just that men are engaging in this activity, they're supported in it, um, both externally and within the relationship of the advisor, but there's another layer of messaging that goes back to what you said before. If we don't make as much money, we don't have as much money, and we're not considered equally important in how we invest our money, it doesn't only impact our financial power, but it impacts our self-esteem in the way we navigate those options going forward. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. It's messaging throughout a woman's life all too often. I hear, you know, and I hear it's going to be hard and it's not for me. And one woman in Silicon Friggin Valley this summer told me I'm going to take two weeks off to get this figured out. I said, it doesn't, it's, it's actually very straightforward, right? You need to invest in a diversified investment portfolio of ETFs. That's it. Right. I mean, I'd be happy if she came to Elevest, which is my digital investment platform built really for women. And it's worse than that, too. The industry does not take into account that we live longer or that our salaries peak sooner. Mm -hmm. So it's in every way. And then here's the thing. I'm, I'm embarrassed to admit it. I'm going to admit it. When people told me, Sally, you should you should do this. I, I said, you should jump off a cliff and, and kill, <laughs> like, kill yourself on the way down, because how dare you suggest that I do a remedial financial education or for women and we're going to wear pink. And I had this view of it. And it really wasn't until I realized that we do have this gender investing gap and that I am, you know, one of a handful of women who've been in senior roles in investing and on Wall Street. And, and I said, I've got to do this. Like, so I've got to do this. It's me. In your immediate reaction to that. Yep. How much of it was maybe some of your own subconscious gender oh. bias, or was it anchored in the scope that you've had in your previous work? It was all of it. It was, hey, I ran Merrill Lynch, and, you know, it was 40,000 people, and blah, 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 blah. 
But I had gone through a process before I had the, you know, the the retirement savings crisis, a woman's crisis moment. I'd gone through a process in which I said, is my, do I derive my sense of value as a professional from running large businesses? Is it the big office? Is it the two executive assistants? What is it? I was very honest with myself. I went deep, and it took a long time. And I came out, and you won't be surprised here, it was meaning and purpose. It was how can I have an impact? And I would argue that for some, you know, for me, I believe I can have more of an impact in a startup than in a big company. Indeed, I took this idea to big companies for a while and got the, hey, but don't their husbands manage their money for them? I don't want to miss a point, though, because there's an important point. Not only did I have that point of view, but what has been fascinating at Elevest we have built what I personally believe to be the most sophisticated investment offering out there. We put together full financial plans for individuals and highly customized investment portfolios that are not targeted to beat XYZ index, but are targeted to get you to your goal, get you to your goal. So it's investing really turned upside down and how we women think about it, which is conceptually. Forget the Elevest commercial, but let me... <laughs> and we're gonna, I want to talk That's more right. about no, Elevest no, afterwards. But I want to describe that for a second because then I want to tell you, because that's as a backdrop. And I've mm-hmm. been around, so this is, the, the algorithm is, is unbelievably sophisticated. In fact, I, I almost wasn't sure we'd be able to do it. It's, it's so hard. So we, we put it together. We, we launch the thing. Thank goodness it works. And we do some Facebook ads as a startup does. And I will tell you that the initial reaction we got was about 55%. Oh, and we're very, we're very forward that we're for women. We're not mm-hmm. hiding it, right? So L, the Frenchie, Avest. Yes. And then our ads were investing for women, right? And then we do a cue like, what the fr- da, 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 does that mean? <laughs> but we tried a bunch of them. And so about 55% of the reaction was, hey, that sounds great. 45% was, uh-uh. What was uh, the resistance? Uh-uh. Oh, I need a special investing, you know, platform for my lady brain because numbers are too hard for me and how dare you, you know, I don't need anything special. I'm fine as I am. And so you'd watch and people would like these women were getting mad. And then what you would see is somebody would go on the site and circle back around and say, mm-hmm. hold on, guys. Have you seen what they're doing? They're taking into account we live longer. They're, mm-hmm. you know, the most highly customized investment portfolios. Like, this is not as – this is not dumber. This is smarter. It's smarter. So, so, But nobody, nobody assumed it was smarter. They just dismissed it offhand. Because we've been socialized to, for women, has got to be junior varsity. And it sounds like it had that immediate reaction that also has been a pattern throughout the waves of feminism Mm -hmm. of, I don't need anything to be different. Yep. I can be just like a man in this regard. Or I'm not equal. I'm not the same. I can't handle this. The doubt. Right. And having looked at I, I went uh, on the website last night. You also have a wonderful um, link that I'll share at the end of the mm-hmm. show um, where you can understand how Elevest works. Mm-hmm. And it is it happens to be appealing, elegant. Of course. We're women. Beautiful and right? inviting. We're women. Um, but it also very clearly is smart, mm-hmm. responsive. 
like women. Exactly. But it's just, it's so interesting how we've been socialized. And I kept wanting to go into the fray and say, hey, guy, you know, and this is sexist. This by its nature is sexist. I want to say, no, no, no. You know what by its nature is sexist? Is an industry that talks only to men Mm -hmm. and serves only men and that tells us that it is our fault that we are not investing. That is what society, that's sexist. As if we deserve to be punished. As if it is, our, right? It is our, you know, this must be their fault. And they just need to, and we're like, yeah, I do. I really need to, I need to buy an investing book. I better, I better do that. But again, the truth is men will invest through jargon that they don't understand and women will not. And so one of the things that I thought was great, you have a wonderful list in the book of financial mistakes to avoid. Mm-hmm. And one of them is, you know, don't, don't get intimidated by the jargon. Right. It is imperative, and you have every right to ask as many questions as you want until you understand it. Well, or I take it a step farther. Find what? Find a financial advisor or a financial firm that doesn't use jargon. It's a smokescreen. You know, I don't think people mean to do, oh, I'm going to use some jargon now, but we all fall into this. Yes. And if they can't describe it to you, and I mean quickly, in language that you understand, then either they don't understand it, Right. Or they're not the right one for you. And it, it's also that this is an ongoing relationship. Mm-hmm. So mutual respect has got to be part of it, just like any relationship. Never mind somebody who's handling your money for the remainder of your life. Right. Right. There's enormous trust that we put in those people. a lot to. I mean, you know, for the traditional advisors, you know, you th- the whole thing is 2%, 2.5% of your assets. You know, it's too much. It, it's going to, it needs to come down. It's coming down. But if that, you know, if you're paying that for an individual and the investment products you're providing, you know, you're, that's that's one of your biggest expenses. Without a doubt. So Sally Krawczyk is here. She's our CEO and co-founder of Elevest, chairman of Elevate Network. We're going to take a short break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about some of her really sharp advice for how we can make ourselves more effective in the workplace and make a bigger impact in the world around us. I'm Laura Zarrow, and we'll be back in a minute. You're listening to Women at Work on Business Radio, Sirius XM 111. Here again is Laura Zarrow. Welcome back to Women at Work and our continued conversation of how we can help more women join, stay, succeed, and lead in the workplace. I'm Laura Zarrow, and I'm delighted to be here today with none other than Sally Krawcheck, the author of Own It, The Power of Women at Work, um, as well as the CEO and co-founder of Elevest, chairman of Elevate Network, chairman of PAX Elevate Management, which I hope we're going (laughs) to learn a little bit about, and the author of this really incredible book, Own It, The Power of Women at Work. Um, Before the break, I was talking with Sally about a whole range of things about the importance of our financial independence. um, and the ways that we can start to work towards building that in self-aware ways that honor us as women. Mm-hmm. Um, Sally, welcome back. Thank you. Great to be here. Um, one of the things we were talking about right before the break was our relationship with a financial advisor. Mm-hmm. And you talk at length in the book about all kinds of relationships, how you build them, why they're so important. Um, and I was wondering, there's a story in particular where you talk about how you negotiated with Sandy Wilde from <laughs> City Group. <laughs> and I was wondering if you could talk about, A, yeah. what the relationship context was was and that negotiation because I think there's a lot to learn from that story well it was really interesting because Sandy um, who's been retired now for some years was a Wall Street I mean Titan they just don't that they made the word for that man and I mean for years he was the 
sort of epitome of what you thought of a Wall Street titan. I mean, he smoked cigars. He was portly. <laughs> he drank scotch. He ate too many steaks. <laughs> right. And, you know, he was a screamer. And he would scream at you and, you know, and then make up with you, et cetera. I mean, there was always sort of a, a, a nice guy underneath. But what a and a master negotiator, a master negotiator. So in the early 2000s, Citigroup, which he was running, got into trouble with the research scandal um, of that time where research analysts were recommending stocks to the public at large, but secretly helping the issuers of those stocks, you know, by pumping up the prices. And in emails were saying, well, I'm recommending the stock, but it's a POS. And Smith Barney, uh, the research business there, had this scandal, as did Merrill Lynch and any number of them. Well, I was running the business the biggest research business that did not get involved. We had, I had, very female, right? We, (laughs) I was running it and had actively removed us from that business because of the potential for conflict of interest. I ended up on the cover of Fortune magazine at post this, you know, during the scandal as the last honest analyst and Sandy Weil called me and said, I'd like you to come over and run my research business. Because he's no fool. Right. And I was like, yeah, okay, you know, um, no, uh, because I already run a great research business. And then he came back and said, well, I'll, I'd like you to run Smith Barney, too. I had no business running Smith Barney. I, I knew research. I didn't know the wealth management business. And I was going from running 200 and, oh, I don't know, 86 people to 30,000-ish people. Um, and then it, when it came to money, so I'm like, well, that's a little more interesting. And uh, <laughs> when it came to money, he ended up giving me an offer that was in line with what I was making, which was plenty, I assure you. But this was a much, much bigger job. Yes. And it was hard for me. But I, I, I no, you know, I'm, I'm, no, I'm not going to accept this. It's not the right or fair offer, and this is a much bitter, bigger job, and I would like compensation that's commensurate with it. And damn if he didn't come back and, and didn't go up by little, went up by multiples. So he really heard you and responded. Well, I think he was lowballing me is what really was the, <laughs> the truth, and he, you know, and he felt like he needed me. Um, and so in terms of the relationship, we'd had a relationship before, but but I, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't go through the whole rigmarole of playing the game and I'm going to put out this number and you put out that number. I was in a relation in a relationship based way explaining to him this is my position. Um, this is how I feel about it. And, you know, if you don't want, if you don't want me to come turn around your business, fine. So you were authentic and you were direct. Yeah. But mindful of the responsibilities that you were taking on. Well, and and mindful of wanting it to be fair. I mean, and again, I know we're talking at the time it was millions of dollars, so hard to feel sorry for me. But there was a fairness issue. If this is what, you know, the guys are going to get paid, this is what I should get paid. And there's no apologies for the scale of the salary Mm -hmm. either, because this is all part of what's led you to a place of personal independence and impact. Yeah. Well, don't worry. I lost most of it, just to be perfectly (laughs) clear. No, no, no. To be perfectly clear. Um, and that was an important lesson. I don't think this is in the book. We had an agreement at the company that we wouldn't sell the stock. And it was a hand, it was a blood oath, we called it. And the senior leadership team held on to the stock. And the stock went up to 54 and went down to less than one. Okay. So, yeah, that happened. <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds like even that though happened, you didn't yeah. retain the value of the no, stock. It, but still, it was a victory. It was a, it was a, it was a victory of some kind, I'm sure. Also, not unimportantly, you were, the way you described in the book, if I understood, is you were stepping into a role that wasn't just more of the same. 
It was an opportunity for you to grow in an important way. And as you were telling the story a moment ago, there was that little, like, a part of you that was like, well, is this just more? Is it just the same? Mm -hmm. Talk to me about what it was like to open yourself up to the bigger opportunity and embrace it. Well, you know, it's really interesting. And I don't know if this is in the book, but I went and spoke to a woman who at the time was my best friend and said, I've got this opportunity. And it's bigger and it's going to be public and and I don't know if I can do it, but wouldn't that be interesting? And I'm going to be away from the family more, but Gary has said he'll take a step back and but da 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 And uh, should I take it? And she said, no. Really? <laughs> <laughs> no. And I'm like, what? Why? <laughs> what? Anyway, you know, I, I wouldn't do that. Why? You don't need that. You don't need that. And I remember thinking that was not the, you know, answer I was leading you to. <laughs> right. You were um, hoping to get the yes, oh, you I mean, must. it was so clear what I wanted. But uh, yeah, so that happened that one time. But um, no, for me, it was, how could you not do this? That the universe has put this in front of you an opportunity forget about if you're a woman nobody gets right nobody gets and that i grew up in charleston south carolina in a very middle class family and this opportunity is sitting in front of me and i'm going to be on the front page of the wall street journal and if i fail i'm going to be in the front page of the wall street journal amazing <laughs> like amazing <laughs> it's and, a good place to and be actually, seen if you fail you know actually i um as i thought through the ups and the downs. The upside to me was I get this unbelievable experience. I will be going a thousand miles an hour. I will be tested like I've never been tested. And if I succeed, that will be great. And if I fail, I will fail publicly. And I'll be fired on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. I said, okay, I can deal with that. But I can't spend the rest of my life it wasn't even a question. I, I mean, it wasn't even a moment of question. It wasn't like, oh, I, you know, I'm going to spend the you know rest of my life. What if I'd taken the job? Of course I was going to take the job. Except in that, you also embraced the risk of failure. Very, very public failure. And then I did fail. And you've recovered and from with immense <laughs> Different grace. Reasons. Different reasons. I was the only one to return client funds in the downturn um, years later. And I was fired for it by a different boss. Um, and that really was hard. I loved the job. I loved my friends. I was It was embarrassing. It was humiliating. But what kept me going was, hey, it's on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. That's sort of cool anyway, <laughs> if we're going to be honest. And the kids are not going hungry. We're not getting thrown out of our home. Right. So this you is not life in perspective. Death. This is business. This is business. This also points to, as you're saying, you know, we had a roof overhead, we had food in our mouths, mm-hmm. that when um, we talk about financial independence, it's critical for moments like this. Oh. It's, it's going through your career so that you can take the chance, reach for the brass ring, and everyone's going to fail at some point. Oh, and I think increasingly. Business is changing so fast that the biggest risk is that you're not taking a risk. I mean, think about if you're in the marketing profession today. Three years ago, it was about brand building. Oh, we spend, you know, half of our ad dollars work for us. We just don't know which half. Ha, 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 ha. Right? Today, it's about multi-touch attribution analysis. Mm -hmm. It is a whole different world. With a deep well of analytics to inform and drive decision making. So it's gone from this very creative thing to creative plus deep 
deep analytics. Mm -hmm. Wow. You know, media, financial service. I mean, you can go industry by industry. Everything's changing. And so I think the riskiest, you know, stance you can take is, oh, I'm going to play it super safe because it's going to pass you by. So if you're playing it safe, you've got a risk. If you're taking risk and trying to actively change to go to where the puck is going to be, you've got risk. And in either of those cases, you better have some money in the bank. Absolutely. Also, this goes back to what you were saying are some of our assets just by virtue of being women, Mm -hmm. that our openness to lifelong learning, Uh, our willingness to keep learning and keep trying is not just good for us. It's critical. You know, it's it's funny. I haven't finished my thinking on this. Um, I barely started my thinking on this. But for all that we spend a lot of time, oh, it's tough to be a woman in business and we're not making progress and blah, 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 blah. I sort of feel bad for the guys here because as I'm looking – so I'm um, not 23 anymore. (laughs) Um, I am in my young 50s, and I am seeing an entire group and wave of my female peers and friends taking coding classes, starting a consulting firm, Mm -hmm. starting a new business, getting themselves crowdfunded. I mean there's a whole group – who, you know, I did my I did my, you know, corporate thing and you know, now my kids are in college and I'm still young. It didn't seem to like fifties were young before, but are young today. And I'm fascinated by this. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going. I've got all this time and I'm going and I'm changing and I'm moving and I'm uncertain and I'm scared and, and I'm doing it anyway. And the guys, I don't know that society gives them that latitude. Uh, you know, I see the guys as having to act certain and act manly yes. and act confident. And so I'm not seeing a lot of them in the coding class. It's funny. I was talking with a colleague last night about whether um, the gender messages we get as children, especially as little girls, are are mm-hmm. contributing to the imposter syndrome that we develop. Mm-hmm. And he pointed out that they also send messages to men about a pressure to be macho. And to not be open to learning and trying and failing. So it's a shared burden in many ways. So I'm going to go a place I've never gone before. Let's go. Bond. James Bond. My um, first husband was loved James Bond movies. I mean love James Bond movies. That confident, sexy. Mm-hmm. And as I write in the book, he had an affair. Uh, so with an ex-friend of mine. And... It is not by coincidence, I'm sure. I mean, we were so young, but I had gone to not this business school, but another business school. And it was sort of clear, it was becoming clear that my career was going to start to move. Mm -hmm. And he hit a period in his career where it was stagnant. And he had an affair and, you know, that's all she wrote. But I, I worry that, you know, as I think about the TV he used to watch, the messages he got about that. He couldn't accept, you know, I'm not the one who's... No, these are very real things. Mm -hmm. And I also similarly wonder if in women's sensitivity to the way that men respond to that and the pressures Mm -hmm. that men are under, if that there are some women who are purposefully kind of underperforming oh, or under-earning uh, because they don't want to threaten the status quo. I have a friend who uh, is, um, she herself is an analyst. She does incredibly well. She knows she's paid less than everybody on her floor. And she said, well, you know, I have a husband. Mm, mm. And that's not... I got this question. I did a podcast late last week um, with with a woman who's more traditional, you know, values 
Um, I, I knew when she started talking about how much she hated the, the pussy hats in the marches. I said, <laughs> okay, I got where we're going. I got it. I got it. I got, I got the road we're on here. But she brought up is a very serious issue um, about should a woman hold back financially so as not to intimidate her spouse and therefore keep the marriage going because she uh, communicated to me that there is research that shows that marriages in which the woman earns more break down more and the husband has more affairs. And, of course, my um, my my example was one of them. Now, it was years ago, but I found myself beating my head against the desk, you know, like, get rid of him. Right. And what I'm gathering you found was a partner who could accept you oh. for all that you are and celebrate your successes and support you in them with his own sense of identity. Of course. And it's it's so important. I mean, so many people have said it. The most important career decision you make is who you marry or partner with. And I think that's true for both genders. If home isn't sort of okay, you know, the hierarchy of needs. Right. Home if needs home isn't to be okay, happy then you've got, you've, got a, you've got a problem. Um, and so I was fortunate in my second marriage um, to to have someone who took a step back when my career was, was going bang- gangbusters. I'm talking to the exceptional Sally Krawcheck, CEO and co-founder of Elevest, chairman of Elevate Network and the PAX Elevate Management and author of Own It, The Power of Women at Work. So in talking about this incredibly important relationship, this is not the only relationship that really matters in our well-being in our lives, our friends, our network, mm. the circle around us, the woman you went out for drinks with and said, should I take this big job. Um, Talk to me about how you built your network and advice that you have for us in sustaining it, particularly as women and particularly Mm -hmm. when we're in our 30s. Networking is the number one unwritten rule of success in business. And we see it again and again. You know, the 20s are sort of the sorting era. I'm in the wrong job. I'm not good at this job. The 30s, we've all got it figured out. And one of the reasons the guys start to blow past us is because they have stronger networks than we do. I don't know. Somebody whispers it to them at some point, but they don't tell us. We are down. I say the number one mistake I've seen women make in business is we think at school and that we're doing the hard work and getting the A and keeping our head down and thinking the fairy god HR queen will come and, and you know tap me on the shoulder. And that can happen. And occasionally it, it, it can does. happen. Oh, it can happen. It can happen. However, If in addition to that, you know that there's an opening three departments over that is perfect for you, or you know that there's an advisory position at a hot new startup where you can really add some value, or you know, I mean, I can go on and on. Every position I've held, Mm -hmm. and particularly the ones I've loved most, all came by virtue of my network. I have not had a business opportunity come to me from an executive search firm since business, well, ever, but since business school, so which has been a, a couple years. Now, <laughs> when we talk about networks, though, one of the things that I think trips women up is what's the nature of these relationships? Right. And there's a spectrum. Is it like, and I see it amongst the 20-year-olds who are networking like it's a sport, and how many cocktail, how many business cards can I swap? As yeah. a, and that's not effective networking. No. I don't even know what these people who cold, try to cold link with other people on LinkedIn are even doing. And, and, and when I go in there, there are 30 of them there. There are 50 of them there. You say, what are you doing? Why? <laughs> right. right? So neither does it all have to be best friends. You know, I sort of tell an anecdote in the book about starting Elevest and and buying Elevate Network. It was nine different 
introductions that occurred, started by sitting next to the former chair of the Securities and Exchange Commission on a plane, introduced myself to him. And it was years later he introduced me to someone who introduced me to someone who introduced me to someone and got me to where I am today. None of those people are my friends. Now, I didn't cold link them, you know, but it's more... (laughs) You know, this one I'll have a drink with. You don't have to go play 18 holes of golf. This one you'll have a drink with. This one you'll have a coffee with. But, you know, sometimes it's you just ship them an email. I was going to ask the details of this. Right. Hey, you know, hey, Laura, I saw this piece of research you might be interested in. You know, da-da-da. Hey, met somebody. You two have got to know each other. Let me just connect you via email. So even five minutes of making a connection. 30 seconds. And guess what happens? Guess what happens? I'm going to, you know, give the real secret. <laughs> Guess what happens when the two of them then get connected? Oh, isn't she the best? Sally's the best. Right? They're not going to say, what a jerk Sally is. And so then they're sort of reinforcing she's the best and you've got two people who think you're the best. So just though, you know, yeah, you need to have drinks or breakfast or whatever, but they don't have to be your friends. None of those people in that line of introductions, I don't think any of them have been to my home. I haven't played golf with any of them. So when you sit down Mm -hmm. with these people to have that coffee, to Mm -hmm. have that lunch or a drink, um, what's the conversation about? How do you navigate it so that you're not going to an overly personal place and you can but you can find an authentic place of engagement? Well, look, I think it's finding I mean, it's like anything. It's what's going on with you and your business. What are you focused on these days? What are you seeing out there? Now let's gossip about somebody we both know, <laughs> right? Let's talk about UNC basketball for a minute because that's interesting. You know, there's there's a personal aspect to it. It can't all be business, but there can also be a lightness to it that happens as well. Um, and then the other thing I'd say, and particularly for the younger women who are listening, this networking then bleeds into mentoring. And and by the way, members of the network who are your peers can be your mentors as well. Because we mean, can learn from anybody. Shades of gray. And the mistake I find that young people make, first of all, about networking is, well, I don't want to cheat. No, that's not cheating. That is ne- increasing your knowledge base. Yeah, it's not nepotism. And knowing people, right? <laughs> and sharing with people and doing, you know, doing great things for people. But the other mistake I find young people make about mentoring is they think it's all about you older person talk to me younger person. And I will come and I will ask you a set of questions and you will answer them and then we will I will genuflect and we will leave. <laughs> no. 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 That's not the dance. No. It actually you have to think about what you bring to that party. And you know, who doesn't want to know what millennials are thinking these days? Who doesn't want to know what's going on on social media? Who doesn't want to know the startup that you've recently come across? And so for the young people, I think it's really about not just do you go to receive, but what are you bringing to the relationship? And I just think it gets missed. What's the role of patience in this? Well, um, there's plenty. And you have to think about it like planting a garden and that you plant these seeds and some of them will never spring up. I have this one woman. She is cracking me up, cracking me up. Every, she has asked me, would you come speak at my big conference? Happy to speak at your big conference and fly out for you. Happy to do it. And she said, you know, and when the when the book comes out, I'm going to – we're going to just make a big deal. So I speak at a big conference. The book comes out. I'm like, hey, the book's coming out. Don't hear from her. You know, send another – hey, remember <laughs> you, you said if I came to speak at your big conference, maybe – don't hear from her. Friggin' get an email from her last week. Would I do X, Y, Z for her? I'm like – Okay, 
okay. I, and so I send the email back and I said, I, that's, I'm, thank you for asking. I'd love, can you give me more information? And by the, oh, while I have you, my book has come out and you know, <laughs> right. you know, have not heard back from her, have not heard back from her, have not three, you know, and it wasn't like she sort of tossed off. We'd like to, I mean, it was like, we're going to do a party. We're done. La, 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 la. Right. Like it was shiny like, and exciting. Okay. That's a dud. Right. That is that is a cut your losses and move on. This person is all about herself. Right. It's the difference of being. Are you taking or are you giving? Honey, this woman is taken, taken, taken. So you're going to have some of those. you got to stick and move. Realize that. Others over time. You know, I've got people who now I've known for 20 years, you know, and sometimes we don't talk for two years, but we sort of come back together and those grow slowly, and then others, the least expected, you'll get fired. And the person you just wouldn't have imagined will call you two days later and say, I have three opportunities for you. You know, you're like, what? And it feels like this gift from the heavens, but it's really a result of giving to these relationships over time and, and that it creates a community. And the problem is so many people think about this networking as I need to get something out of it right away. But it really is planting the garden. And if instead you just give and give and give, except to that woman I talked about before, <laughs> not to her, not to her. But if you to other people give and give, it will come back to you. Well, the person who's here giving us this incredible insight and advice is Sally Krawcheck, the CEO and co-founder of Elevest and the Elevate Network. So speaking of which, um, you didn't just invest in your own personal network. You've invested in a network for all of us. <laughs> I believe in it so much I bought a network. <laughs> Put your money where your mouth yeah, I know. is. I know. So, but tell us about what the purpose is of the network and who is a good candidate for it right. and how you go about getting involved so in it. So Elevate Network, you may remember the old 85 Broads, which started as the Goldman Sachs Informal Alumni Network, if you can believe it. And it, I think, started with eight women going to dinner, and then all of a sudden the community now is 65,000 women. 65,000? women. And what was so interesting about it to me was as I began to look at it, that it actually was – you go to, to these events with these women and you're watching them. Here's a, here's a recommendation. Here's somebody you should talk to. Here's a job that I've heard about for you. That this sense of we're, we're in this together, we're going to help each other was absolutely palpable. And actually, when I started to look at the numbers, the network, you know, of women who were getting promotions, women who were staying in business, the numbers outperformed the professional women's, group, you know, community by far. Um, so I thought, well, this isn't a bad idea. And then now we run it as a B Corp. I run it as close to break even as we can. Um, and, you know, it just is it's so hard to. If you and I want to get together, we have drinks and where are we going to meet? And, and time is and hard to get a hold of. Yes. And oh, what if you get late? And oh, no, I'm late. And let's do it another <laughs> night. And, and if we can put together a series of events that you can learn something from, you know, one of my favorites was Secrets HR Professionals Will Only Tell You After Three Glasses of Wine. So it was a closed event, no tweeting. But then network, you know, giving the women the opportunity to have a glass of wine on either side, we just make it easy. You can network online. You network in person. We do small events. We do big events. And it just it's just magic. It's really just magic. Because you're not just connecting and giving people chances to connect across industry and in their regions. You're educating at the same time. 
Absolutely. And they tell us what they want to hear about. And what's great is we actually pull women from the network to do the events. And so, wait a minute, all of a sudden I'm raising my profile amongst other professional women. And all of a sudden I'm talking about my business and people are buying from it. And so there's a lot of good old-fashioned business being done amongst the women of the network, not in an obnoxious way. I mean, you don't want to walk in and, hey, would you send me a deal? But over time organically. And guess what? The guys have been doing it for forever. Right. So forever. Now, it, now it's our turn. Right. And thanks to you, we have this amazing yeah. mechanism to do it. So briefly, with the, just the minute that we've got oh. left, um, now that your book is out and we all get a chance to take it in, what's your biggest dream for us going forward? Oh, hashtag own it. Okay. Hashtag own it. You know, what what I wanted to give, in addition to the anecdotes and the research and the hard-won advice, is, guys, we're in a great position here in every way, right? The world is really going our way. And by taking that extra step to, you know, have the courageous conversations at work about these issues, to spend our money with companies whose values align with ours, for those of us for whom it makes sense to start businesses in which we want to work, the future's ours. That's right. And the time is now. And the time is now. Sally, thank you so much for joining us on Women at Work. Anytime. It's a delight to to have you here. I'd also like to thank Patty Hall, our sound engineers, Dion Simkins and Danielle Bruno, and our production assistant, Allie Freed, with all, I think, the very excited research you did for today's show. Our schedule of replays can be found on the SiriusXM website, that's www.seriousxm.com backslash business radio. Thanks so much for listening to Women at Work on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on SiriusXM 111. I'm Laura Zarrow here on Women at Work, encouraging you to go ahead and own it. Thanks so much. <laughs>